Okay, so welcome. My name's uh, Vic, one of the leaders here. We're starting a new series today. Uh, we've just had an excellent series, by the way, on kind of gifts, really. Three different uh, speakers. Start with Wendy Mann uh, as a guest speaker. Obviously, last Sunday was a, a wonderful Remembrance Sunday event that Paul uh, and others pulled together. So we've ju- we're on a new series today after looking at gifts and how we all want to be involved uh, and God using our gifts in the church. And we're going to start one on Zechariah, specifically chapter 8. Who here has ever read the book of Zechariah? Okay, there's a, there's a few people. They're not loads of though, uh, so it's maybe a bit of a different. But we're going to uh, explain a bit about that before we get going. So please don't worry too much. So uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at Zechariah. We're looking at verses 1 to 8 today. Then Paul's going to do 9.17, I'm going to finish off on 18 to 23. Now, to help us get going and learn a bit about Zechariah, I've got my uh, deadly accurate timeline again. This is my Bible timeline, which if you've been around the church for a while, you might have known. I've used this a few times on occasions, this kind of uh, very specific, accurate timeline. So the Bible, the book that Christians hold as the Word of God and authoritative in our lives, don't we? Uh, we believe it's very important. That's why we speak from the Bible. The Bible is, made, is split into two major sections, you might say, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is basically all the stuff that uh, is covered before Jesus was born, walked this earth as a, a man, died and rose again. And the New Testament kind of starts at that point and carries on afterwards. So there's Jesus there in red, kind of the highlight. Zechariah is an Old Testament book. It, he's a prophet, so it's one of the, uh, the prophetic books of the Old Testament. And he is towards the end of the Old Testament. Okay, he's one of the later books. And he's actually, uh, he's writing in a period known as the sort of the post-exilic period, the post-exile period, which is a very confusing term maybe, isn't it? Which I'll say a little bit more about. So in 587 BC, Jerusalem... The city, obviously the capital city of Israel, the people of the Jews, was uh, attacked by the Babylonian superpower of the day and sort of ransacked and taken over. And it was the destruction and destroyed Jerusalem. It happened a few times actually, but 587 was the, the final destruction of Jerusalem. Now you don't have to worry about the dates or anything. So most of the Old Testament stories that are maybe the better known ones, so Abraham, Moses, uh, David and Solomon, some of, they're the sort of the ones that tend to be in our consciousness, consciousness more and that we know of. They're all before this happened. They're all pre-exile. They're, that's the majority of the Old Testament and the slightly earlier stuff. So from God first called Abraham to uh, become the father of the Jewish nation, then he called Moses to take the Jews out of Egypt and into the promised land, and Joshua took them into the promised land. King David, the most famous king, David and Goliath, fame, established the Jewish nation. King Solomon, his son, uh, followed on the sort of golden era. And then ever since then, almost, the Jewish nation had various kings. Uh, there was a north and south kingdom, and it kind of got from bad to worse, as it were. They didn't really follow God, and you read all about this. A large chunk of the Old Testament tells you about the, almost the demise of the Jewish nation. It got so bad that God kicked them out of Jerusalem and the nation, and that happened in 587 BC. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, of Babylon destroyed them and got rid of them. 
then there's a few books in the Old Testament, therefore the later books that then cover a period after that, that are bringing God's people who have been scattered to all different nations by now. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and they are starting to be called back by God to rebuild Jerusalem. And that's the setting that we find ourselves in in Zechariah, who is a prophet who prophesies to God's people essentially to be strong and to get on with the work that God is calling to him and giving him a vision uh, sort of far greater and beyond just building the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem. So some of you would have known some of that. So that's the setting. It's really helpful for us to remember as we look at the passage that he's speaking to the Jewish people who are not in a strong place. They're exiles returning exiles and are looking to re-establish themselves in the surrounding nations. So um, this is the, the, obviously, sorry, let me go back one second. The section we're going to look at, chapter 8, starts in uh, kind of chapter 7 and um, people have come to Zechariah and asked them a question about fasting. There's lots of Old Testament fasting rituals and they're kind of gathering back to sort of get their nation going again, and they're wondering how much they should practice some of the Old Testament fasting rituals that used to go on before to, I think, to almost help them re-establish the nation. Zechariah starts off through chapter 7, essentially telling them off and say, look guys, even when we had the nation and people were fasting, you weren't really doing it for right reasons, you were still all doing your own thing, uh, and being disobedient to God, despite all his warnings, is that, that's how we ended up in this mess in the first place. So it wasn't initially a very positive response. Uh, But then he sort of changes his message. Heads up. Oh, over there. Nobody's got it. Over that way. Someone's catching it. Well done. He kind of says, look guys, heads up. There are good things coming from God. Those are some, there's a bit of wheat. Even better than chocolate. Do you know God blesses us in ways even better than chocolate? Hard to imagine for some of you in the room, maybe, but it's true. <laughs> and they, they would be had it, they'd had a really rough ride, these exiles, really, and the sort of whole history of the nation at that point had been a really rough, rough ride. And they asked this question. Zechariah kind of initially starts telling them off, and then the message changes. This message from the heart of God, this prophetic message. And it's almost like, guys, get your head up. Pay attention. Don't miss it catch it, there's blessing coming. It's actually very similar even to what Pete was kind of wanting to prophesy over us as a church earlier. So this is down to um, chapter 8, verse 1. So Zechariah speaking to these guys, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm very jealous for Zion. I'm burning with jealousy for her. Could the Zechariah, the word of the Lord didn't say this, could Toby please go out? <laughs> I was parent of Toby, sorry. The word log came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm very jealous for Zion. I'm burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The cities will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvellous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvellous to me, declares the Lord Almighty. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem and they will be my people and I will be faithful and righteousness, righteous to them as their God. And the message is actually going to go on. Chapter eight. chapter eight is a very, very positive chapter of, uh, you know, to the, or message, I should say. It's a positive chapter of the Bible, positive message uh, to the Israelites. So they're in this quandary asking these questions about how they should be conducting themselves. They get told off because it never really cut it, all the fasting rituals anyway. The heart was in the right place. And God comes in and says, through Zechariah, but I want you to know I am very jealous for Zion. I'm burning with jealousy for her. Just to say, Zion, Jerusalem, city and mountain are essentially all the same thing. Okay, that's all kind of words, metaphors for Jerusalem and their representation of the people of God, the Israelites. So it's kind of, it is both the physical place that they're looking to rebuild and the kind of the sense of this is the people of God. So it it essentially means all the same thing. So when it says Zion or Jerusalem or city or mountain, it's just different ways of saying the same thing. And God says, I'm very jealous for Zion. I'm burning with jealousy Now, jealousy is an extremely strong motive, isn't it? Extremely powerful force. And in most of our language of jealousy, it's almost uh, completely negative. If you think of jealousy and people being jealous, uh, it doesn't have a a positive connotation. You don't tend to think of that as positive. Yesterday, uh, I had the privilege of going to Twickenham and seeing England while at Fiji. Pretty good. I've never been there before. It's brilliant. During the week, as I told various people that, I encountered the odd bit of jealousy. <laughs> the kind of, that's not fair, I wish I was there, I'm so jealous, all that sort of thing. Could people, we tend to, not very powerful, thankfully, it was just, but um, we tend to encounter jealousy in a negative way. And we maybe even think of the 10th commandment of the, uh, of the Ten Commandments, don't covet don't be jealous of one another don't sort of want what others have got and from a human point of view jealousy probably is virtually always negative it's overpowering and obviously horrible things can get done in the name of jealousy but with God jealousy his jealous uh, his uh, his jealous zeal for us is a good thing it's a strong thing it's incredibly powerful and incredibly strong but God is completely good. He always judges completely righteously and understands the full situation. And when he says, I'm jealous for us, this is a good thing for us. This is positive. But it is powerful. It is meaningful. He's saying, you guys are really important. Zechariah's saying to these people, you guys are really, really important to me. I'm passionate for you, jealous for you, zealous for you. I'm bothered about what's going on in your life. I'm bothered about how you live. For me, I think there's almost two sides of the same coin where there's a sense where when God says he's jealous for his people, jealous about our lives, it means he's interested in the blessing of our lives. We're not insignificant. He does care how life is going for us. He is kind. He is compassionate. But also, he's bothered about how we're living for him. He's jealous that he gets all our attention in the right way. If you like, that we don't have other gods before him. There are no other idols in our life. It's a powerful, powerful factor. And so it's this sort of two-sided coin thing. It's sort of really good and really challenging. 
And God is jealous for these people. I guess the exiles uh, probably hadn't really felt that and experienced that. Like I say, they had once been this great nation. God was interested in them. David was on the throne. Solomon was on the throne. But it had all gone wrong. And God sends enemies to destroy them. And, they must have, and then they've been scattered in the nation. 70 years are just scattered, seemingly insignificant. Where's God gone? Where's our great nation gone? Look at Jerusalem, lying in ruins, the city of God, what's happening? And they're back now, but it must have felt, oh, how bothered's God? Is he interested? How are we doing? And God comes in with this message, I am jealous for you. I'm burning with jealousy for you. So, oh, God is interested. He is bothered by us. He does want good for us. Do you know that about your own life as a church? He is interested in you. Us together, but you as an individual, he is bothered. He does want good things for you. He does want to bless you. He is interested in how you conduct yourself before him. He wants you to live for him and to love him. And he's jealous for that and passionate for that. And this jealousy from God, to, it says, invokes a response, I'm basically coming to you. I'm returning to Zion. I'm going to dwell in Jerusalem. The people of God are essentially the people of God because of the presence of God. It's not just a label. It's not God at a distance. The whole point is that God dwells in the midst of his people. And they're hearing now uh, that God isn't just saying, get on with it and I'll stay over there. And again, it must have felt like that. Where's God gone to the exiles? He's saying, no, I'm going to return to you. My presence is going to be here. I'm coming close to you. I am bothered. I am jealous. There's actually a very powerful uh, uh, piece of the scripture another prophet before uh, the fall of Jerusalem where Ezekiel has a prophetic picture of how the glory of God left Jerusalem he went he disappeared because of all the sin of the people and it's very powerful he's saying guys I have had enough I'm leaving you and you're going to get destroyed and he saw it as a great prophetic vision so when things like this happen this is enormously powerful to the Jewish people it's like God in one sense had left them they never, he never stopped loving them, he never, but there was a sense which for them he had left them, Jerusalem had got destroyed. And now the prophet's saying, God's coming back. He's going to come and dwell among you. He's drawing close to help you rebuild the city. What a sense of encouragement and heads up that must have given. What a sense of challenge though, it's like, oh he is bothered, he is jealous. I've got to think about how I am before my God. Of course, for us, the Christian, the, the ultimate drawing close of God was he sent his son, Jesus, to us. That's how we know God is really jealous for us. That's how we know he really loves us. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us, uh, to live the perfect life, to die on the cross, three days that to be raised again so that we could know God. God never leaves us now, does he? Jesus promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's different in that sense now, but it's still that challenge of are we aware of the presence of God in our lives as a church? Are we uh, in, uh, encouraged by that? Are we strengthened by that? Are we, have we got faith thinking, yeah, God is bothered about us as a church causing us to live differently with our heads up? And for you as individuals, you go through your life, you know, the mundane bits of life in work, Monday to Friday, all the rest of it. Is God bothered? Yes, he is bothered. Is there, the, the, the exiles are here. Building Jerusalem, it's hard work, it's hard work. Is God bothered? Is God bothered? Yes, he's bothered. He's jealous. He's burning with jealousy. God really is with us, sort of 24-7 as it were, caring for us, but stirring us to live for him as well. 
So God is a jealous God, and he wanted to uh, say that to the people. And then, So then he goes on, he starts saying, this, so this is what this is going to mean. As I come to you, this is how the blessing is going to look, if you like, how it's going to bless these people who are in exile, or they're not, sorry, the returning exiles, but the struggles they're now facing. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvellous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvellous to me, declares the Lord Almighty. You've got a picture. This is not anything like what these guys were experiencing. They just returned to a desolate place, a desolate city. At this point in time, uh, the theologians reckon they can date this passage quite closely to 518 B- BC. The temple wasn't even uh, put back together yet, the sort of centre of worship uh, of the people. They're, they're in disarray. And God's saying, I'm coming back to you. Brilliant. And your city is once again going to be flourishing and put back together and created in this image of, if like, people at the two ends of the spectrum to age group, both vulnerable people in society, older people and younger people, are both going to be able to live in a place securely and at peace. This whole image is one of real peace, isn't it? One of real sort of contentment and life working. Life even out on the streets. Even today, in our language, say out on the streets doesn't necessarily have a positive kind of image. What's going out on the streets? It's not old people enjoying themselves, or kids playing around necessarily. You still hear of yourself, didn't you? People harking back to the good old days when the kids could play out on the street, and now they're not able to play out on the street, rightly or wrongly. Different people have different opinions, of course. But that sense of it being a peaceful place out on the street, this must have really been like, wow. Could this really happen? And it seems like they're almost Zechariah, or God through Zechariah, knew that people would even struggle thinking, well, I, I can see us scraping through here. I can see us just about coping. We're here. Whew, we used to be scattered. Now we're back. Maybe we'll sort of manage to make it work. Maybe we'll get this temple finished one day. Who knows? But we're here. Good enough. And this picture, no, no, no. God's saying, I'm coming back. This is going to be a marvellous place with kids able to play, with old people able to relax and chill out and just enjoy themselves, resting on the canes, which is a big sign of blessing, apparently. So they're able to do that. And they're thinking, really? Really? Look at us. Look at the bedraggled lot we are. And God, in his kindness, says, look, it might seem marvellous to you because you're a remnant, just the leftovers, the remainders. And it's almost, I feel almost like the kindness of God saying, look, I recognise you're just a remnant. It wasn't trying to be critical of them. It wasn't saying, who are you, you remnant? He said, look, I know you're small. I know you're just a remnant. I know that seems hard for you to believe. But I'm doing it. This is my thing. It is going to happen. We are going to re-establish this place. And something should just catch our hearts, I think, and stir faith. What will God do among us? Get our heads up. What is this God who's jealous for us? that wants to bless this church because he loves us, because we're important to him, and every other Christian and church near, of course, but that he wants to bless us, and, and he wants to bring peace among us. He wants to bless our young people, if you like. You even take that practice. He wants to bless our kids. He wants to bless our youth. Some of, there's been some uh, discussion recently about how some of our youth are doing in their walk with God and what we can do. And people are motivated and stirred to pray for them. God wants to bless them. We should pray, shouldn't we? 
pray for them, that God gets a hold of their lives. For older folk, I, I think it's, it's interesting. We obviously had kids work in youth, but we also run a seniors group. There's everything in between, if you like, as well, which I guess is most of us. Uh, but that God really does want to bless us. And this sense of peace and shalom in the city, that we can be a people that really are at peace as we walk through uh, our sort of daily life, our day-to-day life. God's always interested, and we can always have his peace. Out in the world, there might be turmoil and trouble, and maybe circumstances aren't always favorable to us, but knowing that God is with us can bring peace. And you can just like do what Paul and Tom, uh, Pete, sorry, and Tom are sort of prophesying, bringing to us a sense of that perspective. We know God's, we're on the winning side. We know Jesus has done it. We know God is with us and is jealous for us. And we can have peace. And it might seem marvelous sometimes in some situations. How can I have peace in this situation? How can there be blessing here? But that God can do it for us. And there's a real test of faith, I think. God is giving us sort of an onus. Will you believe me in this? Will you believe that God can do this? And will we believe him for the blessing that he wants to bring to us? I, I think it's, so it's that's inside to us, but it is amazing as well that actually, even in the city we live in, literally the city of London, we live in our southeast London, be, beyond that sort of thing, this description, this ancient description of what God wanted to bring to the not yet rebuilt city of Jerusalem, they did get it rebuilt, this did start uh, coming to, uh, you know, to fruition, it's still a picture we like to see literally physically on our streets, isn't it? I think once it, we can spiritualize a bit, right, but we're the people of God and the blessing in the church, but we want to see God move to, to, through his working through us to restore peace on our streets as well, to bring blessing on the young people around us in the city and the older folk as well, and of course everyone in between. Apparently, just in, in London... Uh, this year so far, 11 young people have been stabbed and killed on the streets, often through gang. Obviously, many more, I'm sure, have been stabbed and been violent, and they've survived. But 11 people have been killed. I think it was 16 in 2015 or something. Our streets are often not places, literally out around us. They're not places where they're filled with boys and girls playing there. It doesn't look like that or feel like that for many people, does it? Loneliness is... is a terrible uh, thing that goes on in London. Apparently of over 75s, half of them, maybe not surprisingly, live alone in London. And often in sort of one quick survey I was glancing at for this, saying they often talk about the TV almost being their best friends, their main contact, because they're on their own, they're lonely. Again, that's not the picture of uh, men and women of ripe old age sitting in streets, resting on their, their cane sort of thing. We want to see this city transformed. That we want to believe God for blessing us and it overflows. And this can be a hard thing to believe. Can, can we really see knife crime, gang crime go completely? It's like, it's just like, can we? Will we? Obviously, it's not just us, other Christians as well. But it's like, wow, this is a big thing. But God is a big God. And we want to believe him for things like that. We want to be taking action as a church reaching out with the love of God in all sorts of areas to all sorts of people and seeing him bring peace and transform lives. Now God goes on towards the end of this uh, section of the passage. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now it comes up time and time again. You want to say, look, Lord Almighty, he's saying it again and again and again. He didn't just say, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Once it happened numerous times in the passage. 
I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I'll be faithful and righteous to them as their God. I guess you might see if the first kind of blessing was a quality thing. This is the quality of life I want to bring to you, a peaceful city, a restored city. Then maybe you could say this kind of blessing, you could say is a quantity. He wants more people to enjoy this. He wants everyone involved. So even a picture from all the countries, east to west, the Bible does this on a few occasions, east to west, because there's no kind of joining up of that, it seems. It just keeps going. It's kind of like people everywhere, east and west. It's probably a good job he didn't say uh, sort of south and north, because then we'd all be wondering, really, does God want to bless north of the river? Is that really what he wants to do? I'm, I'm not sure, but east and west, maybe we can handle better. So, but it's kind of like people everywhere. And obviously, in the current situation, the exiles had been scattered, and apparently this time Jerusalem was about one-fifth of its population from when before it had been, um, uh, you know, destroyed and in its sort of peak. So it must have felt very uh, sparse. And again, almost like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to see this city reestablished? Look at us, there's hardly anybody here. I'm doing ten jobs, I'm trying to make this, this is stretched. And partly God's saying, no, I'm going to bring people back. I'm going to bring people. They're all going to be part of this. I have my people, east and west, scattered everywhere. As I come back, I'm also going to bring others back. His presence is what is key. And it would be great if we can believe for that. That's what we want to see. Many, many people God bringing back, as it were, bringing back to him and saving and adding them into this church. It's wonderful at the moment we've got a couple of Alpha courses going on and people are asking questions about Jesus and considering following him and saying, making him their Lord and Saviour. And some, you know, we, we can often remember that ourselves, don't we? If you're a Christian here, you can remember that time when you gave your life to Jesus. And it's, like, it's all different, it's wonderful. I'm now a part. John earlier sharing about it's great when God chooses us and we're part of the team. And we remember that when God did it for us it's encouraging when he's done it for others that we've seen, and we want to see that happen time and time again, don't we? People turning to Jesus, him bringing them back to him. And maybe you're here now, and you're not, you know you're not actually a Christian. Hope, presumably you're enjoying some aspects of church life and Christian life. That's why you're here. But you know you've not made that decision. Well, Jesus really does want you to come to him. He wants to bring you back, really to be a part of his people, a part of this blessed community. It was a few years ago, but um, Julian Adams, w- when he was here and sort of prophesied over the church, he prophesied some stuff uh, about, if you like, evangelism, about reaching out with the gospel and what God wants us to see happen. So I'd just like to read this excerpt. The Lord also says in this next season there is going to be an evangelistic potency that will not simply be dependent upon Alpha, but will be a release of signs and wonders and miracles that come to this church and that many are going to get saved. There's going to be great effort put into Alpha, but it will not be the only mechanism. Funny word, mechanism, anyway, that's how he spoke it. There will be many other mechanisms for evangelism, and many will get saved because there is power that's going to be demonstrated in this place. We want to see that, don't we? We want to stir hearts that. But it's because God's present that, that this was going to go on for the guys in Zechariah's time. It's because God's returned, he's going to draw people to him. And it's because of God that we would see it happen as well, isn't it? as we become a people that really keep treasuring his presence, walking his way, and stepping out in faith to tell people about his love, what he's done for us, then we can see many, many people respond to him and say, we can see the church grow. 
We can see, uh, you know, our vision to see the city transformed, to see young and old being in places of peace on the streets. Our goals of seeing three local sites established and more beyond. It's like we can see these things happen for his glory because he's with us as we see many people brought from east and west uh, and saved into his kingdom. So in conclusion, there's three things I want to hopefully just almost recap on the things I've shared and and get you to sort of ponder for your own life about uh, how we can respond to this. God's speaking over people in Zechariah's day, suddenly so positively. It suddenly was almost like a change of tone. Heads up, there's great blessing to come. And I found it amazing that Pete and um, Tom almost prophesied that over us. It really fitted, I thought, with what I was hoping to share today. God wants blessing and good for us. Let's get a heads up and believe it. So the first thing that I want to say is on the issue of repentance and holiness. God, when God came and spoke these positive, positive things to Zechariah, the first thing that happened when he says, I'm coming back to you, Jerusalem's going to become a faithful city and a holy mountain. Faithfulness and holiness were almost like restored and, and put back into the people, which they hadn't had before, even that the way the prophecy went, before the blessing of peace in the city came, before the blessing of more people being drawn into it came. I think it's quite a sobering lesson, if you like. I believe God does really want to bless us. And see, if you like, the way, the, the way we affect the world around us, the communities around us, to increase and grow in power, to see more people saved and added. But say so he's jealous for us, he's interested in how we live for him. It's really important to him that we're a people that love him, walk in his ways, and enjoy his presence. Listen, Jesus said, so Mark 7, about people generally, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Defiling means, it means the presence of God doesn't contact that. Now, for most of in this room, we know we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross when he died for us. We know we are clean. But of course, of that list I read, there's not one person in this room who isn't thinking, oh, oh, oh. You know, God challenges us to be holy like he is holy, to not live in a way that then almost defiles us again, but to walk in a way that cultivates his presence in in his life and therefore the blessings that flow from that. And that was the first thing, actually, that God spoke into uh, the people that Zechariah was prophesying to. I don't want to go and say, let's believe for more, but let's be deeply, deeply challenged. I think of all the things I've shared, my own personal, it's the one that spoke to me most. I think, oh, I want all the glory, glory. I think, but again, what is my life like? Everyone's in different areas of life. Before God, a holy God. He's cleansed me so that I can walk clean, not to go into all the muck and rubbish again. So please, let's be full of excitement about what God's doing, but... Let's be spurring one another to live holy lives before him. And there will always a work in progress. And he's always positive to us. But let's be challenging ourselves and stirring ourselves. So that's the first one. The second one, again, let's get our heads up. Let's really stir ourselves to have a heads up believing that God really wants the best us. To view the way things are going in the light of Jesus as one. 
and we're on the winning side. Of course, we'll encounter difficulties as we you know, plan things as a church, as we look to things. It's, there's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. You know, we don't always get everything right. You know, it's been a, even on a smaller scale, you might say, the carol services that we've just now got, all the invitations for and stuff, it's taken a little longer than we'd have liked because it was a bit of a battle to get a venue for the Rotherhive guys and people working very hard for me. And that's, a, you know, not exactly the biggest spiritual battle going, isn't it? But it's, uh, it took a while to get the venue. And it was a fight, and people had to work hard for it. But let's get our heads up and believe, no, we can see marvellous things in this area, in this church. The three sites that we want to get established, we can see that happen for the glory of God and more beyond them. People can be saved and added into And We're doing it because we want to see God's love and glory scattered all around here. And we can see that happen and much more beside. We can see our youth really flourishing in God. It's a fight. It's a battle. But we can see that happen. So let's get our heads up. Even you personally, get, get your head up. Ha- has it dropped? What are you believing God to use you for? Everyone else will see it. Not me. I'm not very gifted or whatever. Go back and listen to the sermons we've had on giftedness. We've all got to play our part. God can use you. He wants to use you to reach your friends and neighbours and family to come to know him. He's, got, he's jealous for you. He's got Holy Spirit boldness for you to be able to do that. Okay, He wants to use you. He's got gifts for you to use within the church community in specific ways so that together we can see these things happen. In your connect group, in your connect community, let's believe for more than we've yet seen. It's been brilliant. Uh, just Again, I know we've shared this on a few different occasions, but in terms of the Connect community, just recently the Bermsey Connect community doing the light party uh, at Halloween and over 100 children plus their uh, families coming was a bit of a, wow, look at that heads up moment because it was a great event, but the numbers of people it attracted and the, the positive response people had was a bit beyond the maybe what they'd been planning and thinking. It was a very encouraging time. Let's almost believe that happening again and again and again and see much more happen as a result so holiness get your heads up and faith uh, and prayer I think it's hard to pitch if we are stirred in this if this captures our hearts that actually God really is going to bless us we really can see more happen I really am challenged about living for him in a holy life how would that not get us to pray and almost prayer would almost be an indicator of that and let's challenge you. I don't want to, you know, again, can I just say, I say this often, you can always pray a bit more, so there's always a bit of a challenge. Say, pray more, and we all feel bad, because there's always some point where we thought, I could have prayed, and I did. 